Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown. Today, I have the very fortunate uh, opportunity to interview Kaylee McMahon, who is the founder of the Apartment Queen. But guys, she's got a resume here of being involved in over $70 million in transactions. She's been a real estate broker. She's got a She's got a bachelor's degree in molecular nutrition. She owns one, two, three, four, five, six, seven apartment complexes across three different states. So Kaylee, thank you for being on our show. Uh, We're really excited to hear from you today. Thank you for having me, Shannon. I appreciate it. So Kaylee, tell us a little bit about your journey on what brought you from molecular nutrition to apartment queen. Yeah, I started off with biochemistry. It's a little bit more in the weeds. I don't enjoy that. So um, nutrition took it up a level so I could say, oh, how does this affect people's lives and their well-being and uh, decisions they make and things like that and their, their death rates and things. So it's kind of the same thing when you get accidentally getting into real estate. And then being able to uh, say, okay, I'm comfortable doing leasing, comfortable selling houses, uh, condos, land, uh, doing a few new builds uh, with somebody else. It was his project, not mine, but learning. Um, And then doing a flip and then hating that to going, there's got to be a better way to do this. Um, Again, I operate at a 30,000 foot view. So for me, I wanted to uh, create financial independence for myself. And uh, now in a larger sense, my journey is to uh, bring other women into that, into that fold with me to be able to create financial independence for them as well uh, through cash flowing real estate. I mean, it's, it's just a, a fast trajectory compared to a lot of other things out there. You know, I love how you say accidentally got into real estate. That's so common with a lot of people is they, they didn't really picture themselves being a real estate investor or a developer or a fixer or a flipper. What, what was the accident that brought that on in your life? So I was working um, for a company called Burkhart Dental Supply as a distributor rep. So I was someone that was helping doctors uh, fresh out of school to build new practices, source capital equipment supplies, and uh, that was fine. But um, through a couple of bad leadership experiences, I didn't. Um, I, I knew that I needed to be able to lead in my own way. I just pretty much decided, hey, I'm not going to work for anybody anymore. I'm going to make up my own rules. I'm going to go figure this world out, figure out what works, what doesn't, and then run my own show. So I started a personal concierge business, which works with or worked with uh, wealthy individuals in Dallas, Texas and Fort Worth um, who have several homes, lots of cars, several businesses, other very busy individuals usually have kids. I mean, there's a, they have a lot going on. So with all those moving parts, you know, you need someone to be able to organize all of it. So I'm really good at being able to put in systems in place and being able to organize things. Um, And, you know, if it's just me executing, I can execute them, them. So I enjoyed that, but got to a point where, you know, you you have the ESBI, you know, from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, the, the quadrant. And so I was uh, self-employed or S, but um, I wanted to be to uh, B type business was really what I wanted. Uh, and I guess investors, cool too, but you know, really I just wanted a self-running business. And so that wasn't going to be happening if I'm the only one running it. So uh, a friend of mine helped me replace a battery in my car at Walmart one day and was like, you know, your concept is a great concept. It works. It's definitely needed. And I think that you have a, a knack for it because I know a little bit about a lot. I've always been kind of a sponge, whether it's, you know, uh, history, politics, travel, I mean, whatever. I just know a little bit about everything. So um, he goes, you know, you relate to a lot of people. Why don't you get into real estate? Because uh, it was getting to the point where I couldn't even really bootstrap it, to tell you the truth. So uh, he goes, you need cash. You need cash for uh, people, systems, advertising, marketing, um, the whole shebang to grow your business. So why don't you get into real estate and you know sell four or five houses a year and then take that money and put it into your other business to grow that one. And 
that just made sense, you know? So I was like, well, I didn't see myself as a sales agent, but sure, you know, uh, if that will help my other business grow, let's do it. But, you know, that's funny because there's a lot of people that get into real estate part-time that it becomes very lucrative. They can, they see themselves doing that a lot, but what took you from there to investor? What really got you out of the B quadrant into the I quadrant? When I was involved in real estate in the beginning, it's like I mentioned earlier, it started off with leasing. In Texas, you have to be a licensed real estate agent to be able to actually help people get an apartment, which is weird. But places like, for example, I, I used to put people in Colorado. You don't need to. You could just place them there. Um, but however, that was something that was easy and it was, um, you didn't have to write any contracts up. There was no legal ease at all. And so, I mean, it was safe if you will. And honestly, they just scare the absolute living crap out of you when you're in real estate school, they don't teach you anything. So right. the only way, once you get into the real world to figure out, well, what niche or part of real estate do I even want to be in? I don't have a clue. You don't learn anything in school. Um, you have to go find people who are doing it actively and kind of like watch and learn and read books and, and get involved. But it opened my eyes kind of in the beginning when I was doing the leasing and then I got involved in doing single family home sales and condos. And then I decided to be a broker. So when I decided to be a, a real estate residential broker, um, I also was, I think, either finishing up my first flip. I don't remember, but that was happening kind of at the same time on those things. You know, I realized in real estate, there's more to investing than just flipping that house. And, you know, it was, I don't remember again, if, if I read rich dad, poor dad first or not, I think I did. I really do because once a year I'll go away for about two weeks, usually uh, on a vacation by myself and I'll go kind of like soul searching if you will and that trip was Australia I lived in a car for two weeks and pretty much just stop in every city all the way down the coast and figure out you know what am I doing what's my mission where am I going am I getting closer to that every day or am I just you know piddling away time kind of realizing that uh, on that trip that five six books or so I finished while I was driving during that trip and it really made sense I mean it really makes it simple for you to understand so I only thought the word investor for my whole life meant um, when my um, adoptive dad would sit in his office and trade stocks and he would lock the door and I would be able to go in there. I'd kind of be, you know, Hey, but, but I don't know anything about it. So pretty much because I didn't know about it, I didn't feel like engaging that at all, but that's kind of what I associated with investing and being involved in real estate. There's, I mean, literally everything around you, you can invest in, you can flip, you can pull value out of, you can leverage, you can, I mean, all kinds of things. So I'm a sponge and it was really awesome getting the opportunity during that transition of the flip and the broker thing. I don't remember at what point I got invited to speak on Propelio's network. So it's a free investor education network that was funded by investors. And it's a network where we would have interviews put on YouTube and some other channels like Facebook, where we would interview individuals that, you know, one of the gals on the show, it was an all female panel that I was on. And one of us uh, did house notes. One of us did historic remodels. One of us had a title company. One, I mean, all different things. And I was kind of in this transition. So realizing, oh, wow, like there's, there's so much more out there than just flipping a house as an investment. So I, I got from the Rich Dad Poor Dad book to the flip house thing and then realizing there's ways to just flip paper. There's ways to, I mean, be creative, wholesale, I mean, all kinds of things. But uh, when I was in that network going to their once monthly events at the time, they had a speaker that was there. And when I heard him speak at the end of the evening, uh, I said, shit, that is me in five years right there. So I decided and I met him and um, met him for dinner and he's moving to the Philippines because he had sold everything off and obviously it had success. 
and kind of got connected with the right people that uh, have become like family to me. You know, that's amazing. That's another thing that I see in the, in the multifamily syndication world is that there is, there is a sense of family that, that people are willing to help people learn, grow, network, um, you know, and, and I see where you are also the kind of person that is taking that, what you've received, and then turning that around and making it your mission to give back to other women to help them get the leg up to be who you have become and get to the point where this gentleman was, where you're headed. What is your focus when you're working with women, getting them up this ladder from where you were to where you're at to where you're going? What is your process? Well, honestly, we're figuring all that out right now because you kind of have to just put it out there, you know, just throw it out there and see what sticks. And so right now, there's two different people that come to me. And based on where I'm at in life right now, there's only one category of people that directly can just link up and get going. Um, so th those are women that are accredited investors or women that have taken um, equity out of a, a home that they purchased for themselves or Maybe even I have a couple women that have been divorced. They have a divorce settlement and they're like, I don't, I don't want to spend this on stupid stuff. I want to do something that's going to produce something for me and my kids. Um, so there's, there's different groups of people. There's people that are or women that are starting and, you know, I can kind of pick up on both cause I've lived uh, both lives, you know, kind of see where they're at. And I'm kind of trying to figure out a way that I can either take these people who aren't quite ready yet to do this stuff over here uh, and be able to help them, but without, cause I don't really want to coach. I don't want to do the guru thing. I don't want to. So I'm, we're figuring that out. Like right now I've compiled a ton of videos uh, into a library of uh, all the women that I work with in the multifamily industry and even outside of it. My podcast also is, is all women that, you know, how did you start your business? Did you do like me on credit cards? Like how did you live with your parents? Like how did you figure it out so that people can hear it's, it's mindset in the beginning. It really is. And so for me personally, I've got some major brain damage, you know, from my past and, and my growing up being abused. And so for me, it was really hard to see what other people see from the outside looking in and not because you only know what you know, you know, you don't see what other people see in your behaviors and in words and all these things. You, you just, you just do it, you know? So a few people were, um, were helpful to me being able to kind of figure that out and figure me out. Um, but mindset is huge. So, you know, being able to get to that point where you can self love and believe in yourself and have self confidence, that's extremely, extremely critical in the commercial real estate world. I'll, I'll say that because it's a male dominated industry. And so it's, it's an interesting dynamic where I'm not, I'm trying to find this good balance between not being an autocratic leader, but also not being a cis, you know? So there's like a, there's a balance in the middle where, you know, I can speak with authority. I can speak to people and mean what I say and be taken seriously and, you know, not be a joke or whatever, but at the same time, not have to boss people around. So um, mindset and then kind of like, how do you, I feel like we have to be a little smarter than you guys when it comes to even having meetings. Like I had a, a chapter in my book, I'm writing all about this right now where it's like, you know, there's certain things like if you want to make sure this relationship stays professional, there are certain words and certain things to just completely not even talk about and just completely jump over that and avoid it. And you will keep that relationship professional and I've tested it and it's worked. Um, but you also have to say these things to someone else with a smile when you say them. So you don't come off as aggressive or whatever, because there's this perception thing. So a lot of it has to do with mindset, but then a lot of it also has to do with um, like population of people as we are, how we understand the, the men, male and female dynamic, 
what we think of how it should work and therefore our attitudes and our actions and behaviors. So, I mean, there's a great book out there called women don't ask. And it's, it's, it's the only book I found so far where the, uh, the professors that wrote it, they're from Carnegie Mellon university and they have tons and tons of numbers and data to back up all the things that I think as, as females, we know with our intuition what the, what the challenge really is, but we don't know how to attack it until we can put numbers behind it and say, oh, this is how we can do something about it. So it's, it's a great book um, to be able to understand the difference and figure out how to maintain your power. You know, that's, that's amazing too. And it's, it's unfortunate that um, you guys have to think that you need to be smarter than men when we all know that women are naturally smarter than men. I mean, we're, men are very simple creatures, but it's, it's amazing to see that you are not letting that ceiling dominate you, change you. You're, you're out to not only show yourself that you can do it, but to make it accessible for others. And, you know, the beautiful thing about that is, is you're starting with something that is so simple with mindset. And so many people forget. They go, why does mindset have anything to do with buying a house? Because like anything the world is going to go up and down and sideways. We're right in the middle of a huge transition in everything. And if your mindset is, is, is not anchored and you're swinging around like a flag in the wind, you're going to be all over the place and you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your reputation. You're going to hurt your ability to, to focus and to function and to find deals and to do your job. And it's so important. And it's great that you have the understanding, obviously, that mindset is the key. It's the cornerstone to being successful in anything, but you're applying that with real estate. It's so, so key. How is it that you are able to position your, yourself and, and the women that are with you on a level up from men? How is it that you're posturing yourself to be able to achieve that? Well, there's a couple of different things. Like I mentioned before, you know, I lead by, um, so, I don't lead like an autocratic leader where I'm the boss. You have to go through me. You have to, that's not how it works. You have to figure out what people are strong at, what their strengths are. And if their strengths align with what you may need at that moment, then you guys can partner together and work or, you know, they can support your business or whatever it is. Um, so you can't lead by forcing people to do things. Like I mentioned earlier, you kind of have to let things kind of come to you. That's been a big lesson of mine is stop trying to hustle to uh, find new deals, find new partners, find more money, like let it freaking come to you. Like find, what you're really doing in this world and, and people that align with you will just show up. Um, but also the other thing being consistently genuine about your mission and what you're doing is also, you know, men and women are equal for sure. You know, there's definitely not a, I don't really understand the word feminist enough to be able to use it right now, but from the um, assumption or the, I guess, uh, how it makes me feel to hear that word or what I associate it with is um, kind of like I said, an autocratic forcible leader. And it's not the case. I mean, the reason I've gotten where I am is because of men. I mean, it's a male dominated industry. So while they aren't my mentors, they're my sponsors. So somebody who, you know, maybe cares about the same thing that I do. And, you know, like I said, I've, I've formed kind of a family, not kind of like a, a, a family with these people where I can tell them anything. Like if I'm struggling or need to get out, I can call, I'm in jail, whatever, you know, I'm very close to these people, but you have something in common. And, and for us, it's, um, 
that we like, like for this person I'm thinking about right now, we just have been through some major shit right now where I realized, wow, that's why we connected. Cause I didn't feel like I gave that person enough value starting off in our relationship. He gave a lot um, and introduced me to the right people and, and really kind of set things up. That person just basically we had in common that we both, um, we stand for what's right, treating people right. Like for example, there are so many little mistakes we can make as people. We're freaking human. We're infallible. You know, we're not infallible. Nobody is. And you have to have a little grace to understand that. But at the same time, there are other different like breeds of people who uh, have ill intent and they want to hurt you. And, and we don't, we don't do that. So associating yourself with the right people and then having men help me so that like for me they're the true leaders that really understand that we have to come together and support each other it's not us against them like like I think of or associate as a feminist but it's more about you know hey you know this person put me forward and introduced me to the right people and vouched for me and financially uh, vouched for me as well you know and helped me do things that I needed to do I wouldn't be where I am without that person so not being afraid to find those people men or women but that align with your true values and you know we can help each other you know, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't really understand is that, that you are around, I mean, you attract who you're around, you attract who you're mimicking, you attract who you're mentoring with. And, you know, like you said, not trying to force deals, not trying to cram a pipeline full of stuff, but making sure that you're aligned with the right people. Those people are going to bring more like-minded people. What, what are some of the first things that you help women do to overcome the mindset. You, you mentioned there was a couple of things where you guys as, as women uh, undermine yourselves. You, you discredit yourself uh, in your own mindset. What are some of the things that, that you help women, my listeners, my, my female listeners, to overcome initially to really embrace who they are and how really smart, intelligent, and, and powerful they can be when pointed the right direction, doing the right things? Yeah. So there's, there's three things I could say right off the top of my head that, for example, if you wanted to get started today, you know, working on, uh, like I said, maintaining your power and, and having more respect, getting more business, things like that. I'd say the top three things are definitely uh, the fact that we, uh, we over sorry, uh, we overshare. And um, I'll think about it in a minute, but basically when you, um, when you over sorry, you're, you know, think about it. Uh, you're at a grocery store and you're just walking in front of somebody. You're not doing anything wrong. You're and you're like, sorry, 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 like sorry for existing, sorry for breathing, you know. And there's nothing to be freaking sorry for, you know. And the the fact is, is that when you have to constantly say I'm sorry for little minuscule things, where men only say I'm sorry if they believe they've done something wrong. So that that becomes more meaningful. And it's something that when you say I'm sorry, it's I'm truly sorry. There's something that we need to. Talk, talk about fix, whatever, not just, I'm sorry for being around or, you know, whatever it is. And so all the time in emails, I've got women that email me, sorry, I didn't do this. Sorry, I didn't fall fast enough. Sorry. I'm like, if you say sorry one more time, like, you know, <laughs> stop over sorry. Because what happens is what you're doing is you're giving up your power. You're giving the ability, like you're asking for forgiveness from somebody else for something that isn't a big deal. Like if you're late or whatever, I never say I'm sorry ever. I say, thank you for your patience. You know, shit happens, you know, whatever. And, and then we move on, life, life goes on, but you, you give away your power by giving it to somebody else. Cause you have to wait for them to forgive you before you can move forward. And so instead of over sorrying, you know, just try to say it when it's really important or when you feel like you've done something wrong, you need to apologize for. Um, and the other thing that I mentioned was oversharing. So oversharing is something that I'm guilty of for sure. 
And what, what happens, for example, if I'm emailing my attorney something that I need him to get to the other party or something where it's, it's, a, it's a business deal, you know, simply like putting one, two, three lines of text of, of what the necessary information is, is totally, totally okay. There's no reason to add verbs to it. There's no reason to embellish, explain yourself, tell a story, a narrative, any of that kind of stuff, because then, then you're going to lose the power and message of what you're trying to share. And then also in a work setting, for example, um, I don't know how close, you know, your colleagues are or if you're working for somebody else. But, um, for example, if you had a, a rough weekend, you know, you have, uh, I don't know, you're, you're married to someone who's divorced and, and their, their kids and their in-laws came over for the weekend or whatever. And like they just caused hell and, you know, tore everything down and fought with each other. And then you're like, you're, you're at work telling this to your coworker who goes, hey, how was your weekend? And you're like, oh, my God, it was like this. I ended up drinking a full bottle of wine by myself and I just didn't want to deal with it and that's oversharing all you had to say was yeah the weekend didn't work out as well as I wanted to you know my um, stepkids were, were nuts uh, how was yours you know so you can tell a story but you don't have to overshare all the details that unfortunately you know people have their own perceptions their own opinions their own thoughts and you can't control those so the only way to control them is to uh, listen more than you talk and share share less of like intimate details unless they're like in that close circle of friends um, with you. And I'm trying to think of the third one. Uh, it'll probably come back to me, but, um, sure, those, those are two of the top, top two things that take away your power. Yeah. So Kaylee talking to somebody who's just getting started and they, they understand that they've got this growth mode to go through. They understand that they, they need to get some mentorship. They've, they've read the book. They're excited. You know, and when I say the book, I mean, we all know as investors, our first book is really Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? I mean, that's kind of our, that's kind of our launching off point with most people. I mean, that's the basics of, of what money structure is about in, in investments. But once people are excited, what are some of the, the, the simple little things that they can do to get started that get them on the road, even while they're still at a nine to five job, they don't have the ability to flip a house, they don't have this or that, but there's simple things that they can do to get started taking them down this path and into this journey. I guess what I'm saying is, is as people want to grow in this area, you know, 10 years ago, real estate was not sexy. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. You know, everybody was losing it or giving it back to the bank. It had no value, except those that really understood it and they were gobbling it up. Where do you get that information, the courage, the, the, you know, the, the learning that, that you need to be able to take the next steps into your investor relationship, into your investor journey? So I guess the most reliable source of information that I've found is through, through economists, um, because obviously you can follow other people and you can take information from them, but um, it depends on who you're listening to as far as, you know, what, how, um, how data driven their messages or how, how much fluff is in there or whatever. So for me, I'm, I'm not totally data driven, but it's important. So for me, if I'm going to spend time listening to something, I want to make sure that there's, you know, gold nugget, gold nugget. I don't want to just listen to fluff. So um, I would say, for example, for my favorite economist, uh, the Texas A&M real estate science center or not science uh, real estate center, uh, Dr. Mark Dotzer is my favorite economist that I listen to and follow. He seems to have a really good, um, good 30,000 foot view of how things are going to go. And that's really key whenever you're looking at, I mean, even an investment in a, in a market, you know, you, for me, I want to historically know over 30 years, how is this you know, market performed? How's the info cap rate done? It's thing, has it changed? 
so the more um, zoomed out perspective you have of that market, the more you can see trends and the more you can predict trends. And so he just, he's not a gloom and doom guy either. So he's realistic. So that's one of my favorites. There's, there's several other resources out there. One off the top of my head I can remember is IMN. Um, IMN is a, a network that has a lot of data that they um, actually compile. And especially when it comes to multifamily housing, um, but more so I would say NMHC, you can kind of track on their site. Uh, I like A&Ms because it's got up to the month employment and population data. Whereas if I go to city-data.com where I normally go, or if I go to um, Census Bureau, Census Bureau is behind, you know, so many years. And so Texas A&M has it up to like, for example, I was looking last month in June, um, I mean, in July, they have it updated through May, so then they would have June. So it's, it's pretty much up to date. Um, City-data is based on the census and you have Census Bureau. Uh, bestplaces.org is another good one, if you're, especially if you're looking at crime. Um, so just having all these different resources, like for, for San Antonio, Texas, for example, uh, I look in the major uh, MSAs or metro statistical areas in Texas. So Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and San Antonio is uh, priced not super high, but it's kind of up and coming, but it's a really weird place because block to block, the crime changes block to block. I mean, literally, unless you know it really well, it's really hard to figure out if you want to invest there. So um, the actually, if you go on to their um, city website, I really don't remember what it is, but it's like sadtexas.org, something like that. I don't even know, but just their, their uh, city website. And then they actually have under the police department and under um, crime, something to do with crime reports. Basically, you can get into their LexisNexis system uh, without having to actually have a login. And you can look at literally up to the minute uh, crime uh, crime data that's happening and track it over a couple of weeks and kind of see if your prospective investment is going to be in a crime ridden area because you, you can't get out of that. You know, if if you're buying a, a C class property in a D class area, you're screwed. You know, don't do that. You always want to buy one class higher in the neighborhood that your property is sitting in. So right. those, those are just a couple. I mean, I've got more. Um, what my next goal soon here would be to do is to put together a quarterly white paper that basically grabs all this different data and says, hey, here's all these different sources. Here's what the data says, you know, so that anyone that's interested can kind of see where I'm getting my information from. And that's so interesting, too, because a lot of people look at the data, but only look at the data that's contained in the balance sheet and, and the profit and loss. They don't look at the statistical data of the city, of the neighborhood, of the block. Um, how did you how did you figure that out? Was it somebody that showed you that or was it a, was it a project that you bought that didn't go quite right? Or how did you get to where you knew that you had to focus on that? particular thing. So when you look at a multifamily deal for me, uh, what we do, because there's a lot of information, there's a lot of deals that come in, you're not sure if they're good, they're bad. So we have a couple of things that we look for. You want to do like a quick and dirty analysis of something. So an easy way to do that is to know, first of all, is that a market you even want to invest in? So I use like a five prong approach uh, and it's literally the same thing that Neil Bawa uses. I mean, I, I just copied his, you know, so like you said, you get it from somewhere else. You don't have to recreate the wheel. Um, but it's um, population growth, uh, medium income growth, home value growth, crime decrease, and uh, job growth. So those are like the five things that we check on, and they all have certain um, frames of reference depending on the population. You know, 
how much, how little, uh, you know, if it's over a million population, what percentage of growth, say 20% of, so it's all defined. I think he actually has a free spreadsheet that if you kind of like mess through his website, you can find it. But I use that and the spreadsheet is great because you're going on city-data.com and you're taking the delta or the change of what is the last data point. So I think it's 2017 or something. And then 10 years prior, when you're tracking it over that time, you'll put in the beginning value and then the current value. And then the spreadsheet will automatically calculate for you what the delta or the change is. And if it meets the, um, if it meets the requirements in the um, population growth or the whatever, it'll turn green. So you can look at all these five things and go, okay, is it three out of five or two out of five or five out of five or whatever. Um, and that was just something, like I said, I learned from Neil and, um, that's something that all of the other investors do because, uh, just like when you're picking a large market to invest in, who knows what's going to happen with Heroes Act right now, but normally you want to look at a place that's landlord friendly, business friendly and tax friendly, uh, with new changes. Like I mentioned that may not even matter anymore. I don't know, but, um, normally you, you look at a state, for example, like that, and then you find a, the cities that meet those five criteria and then you drill down to um, the zip code, which you'll look at. So the spreadsheet has all this stuff. Uh, it'll look at the school district. It'll look at uh, poverty. It'll look at uh, median income or not income, but um, median rent. You'll go look at your deal at your prospective deal and underwrite the actual deal too. Um, but I mean, if your market's not good and you can't see it growing, for example, uh, there's a market in Texas that it's, it's growing. It's, it's a good market. But when you look at all those factors, population growth for me and um, job growth are the two biggest, most important things. Cause like what's, what the heck is the economic driver that's moving someone to come into your community or to come move there? I mean, if it's not, if there isn't a steady stream of people coming, like why, why invest there? You have to have those economic drivers. So what I hear you saying is that this is another tip and a trick you picked up from the mentorship that you've had, the learning that you've come up with and, and how you pulled all that together. And now you're boiling that down and you're putting it in your own words and getting it out to the, 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 the women that are working with you and growing that. You know, that's such an awesome thing. And, and it's something that I, I really think is, is great. And I see it so often, again, like I said, I see it so often in the multifamily world that I don't see it as much in the rest of the business world. You don't see it in, in Wall Street. You don't see it, you know, in the mutual fund guys that, you know, they're, they're taking these people under their wing and they're, they're saying that, hey, this is really a networking event. We want to get to know you better. We want to we learn from you. We want to hear what you've got to say. I just think that that part of what you're doing is so key um, and it's, it's something that definitely needs to be done. And, and it's awesome to see a woman championing for other women because that's a safe space for you guys, you know, and, and getting that information out there to bring up the next, uh, the next wave of women entrepreneurs, which is what we really need because we need that balance. We get, you know, way out here on the testosterone cliff, with, with guys in all our machismo, you need that balance and you need that sanity that women bring into the deal that, that says, hey guys, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Because 50% of the person buying the, the apartment is the female part of the couple. And without understanding that, so often that gets missed. And so that's really awesome that you're, that you're doing that. Kaylee, just to wrap up real quick, you've given us such a, 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 just a ton of information. I really want to thank you for your time, but how can my listeners get in touch with you? How can they get access to the library that you've spoken of? How can they get access to you personally? 
to follow you, to, to, to see what you're doing, to be a part of what you've got going on. It's super exciting. The easiest way is to go to my website, www.theapartmentqueen.com. My email is admin at theapartmentqueen.com. Thank you so much for stopping at the Real Estate Rundown and giving us some of your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Shannon, for having me on your show. And I just want to say, just like Warren Buffett says, could you imagine what we could do to this planet if we, over, if we utilized 50% of our population that we're underutilizing right now? That's all I got. That is a great quote to leave us with. Thank you so much, Kaylee.